2 Corinthians chapter 2. Wasn't that beautiful? What a beautiful song. How fitting that is today, to, especially to go with this sermon. I want to preach to you this morning entitled, Sorrow Mingled with Victory. Sorrow Mingled with Victory. And aren't you glad in the midst of sorrow that we have a reason to celebrate when the lost are hopeless, us that know Jesus are not without hope. When we think all, all celebrating is gone and all victory is gone, we always, always have victory in Jesus. Praise be to Him for what He's done. I'll be honest with you this morning, I've never had to pray that the choir would keep their teeth in. But I did, and God blessed my prayer. And I'm glad He did, too. So, wasn't that beautiful, though? Wasn't that beautiful? God is so good. Next Sunday, we are celebrating my most favorite holiday of the year, and that's Thanksgiving. I like them all, but I love Thanksgiving because I believe that we ought to be the happiest people on the face of the planet. And we've got a reason to celebrate, and we've got a reason to be thankful. Next Sunday is going to be our Thanksgiving service. And every one of you during the week is going to have your Thanksgiving with your family. Well, next Sunday is your day to have Thanksgiving with your family, okay? Right here at Promised Land, you come. We're going to have Thanksgiving service together. After morning service, we'll have fellowship over there. Come prepared for this. And then we're going to come right in for a testimonial service. And that will be our evening service. So y'all be here for this. Stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 1. The Apostle Paul wrote, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by, by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if I have any cause grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrawise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him, for to this end also did I write, that ye may know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things, to whom ye forgive anything. I forgive also, for if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and the door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence unto Macedonia. Now listen to this in verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and making manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. 
For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. Dear Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. Open our hearts to it. And I ask you, Lord, for, for help this morning. I need your help. God, what I'm doing is not a physical thing, but it is a spiritual thing. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit this morning. Give me that touch from above. Lord, these people do not need to hear from me, but they need to hear from you this morning. Lord, open our hearts. May our hearts be soft and pliable to the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that souls will be saved this morning. I pray, Lord, us that are saved through all the sorrow that we go through on a daily basis, may, you, may we realize that this sorrow ought to be mingled with victory. And I'm so glad in the toughest and darkest of days that I still have reason to rejoice. I'm so glad that in the toughest of situations I still have reason to praise your holy name. I love you and I praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, sorrow mingled with victory. Sorrow mingled with victory. The Apostle Paul here is revealing in this letter to the church at Corinth the sorrow that is experienced by serving in a local church. A life dedicated to the kingdom of God. He is revealing to them that when you serve the Lord, there are times and experiences of sorrow. There are times that you're going to have a tough time. There are times that you're going to face grief. You know, you would think that when you got saved that everything would be a bed of roses. You would think that when you joined together with a local body of baptized believers that we wouldn't fight about anything. But it's not that way, is it? And sometimes it's the church people, it's our fellow brothers and, and sisters in Christ that hurt our feelings the most. And sometimes we grieve and we face sorrow of these things that we go through in this life. Paul explains in this text how godly sorrow should be met with godly victory. And I want to explain to you today that the sorrow that God's people go through should be a different sorrow that the world faces. Everybody has sorrow, but God's people ought to handle their sorrow differently than lost people handle their sorrows. May I tell you the lost world turns to a bottle, the lost world turns to a drug, but child of God, we ought to turn to Jesus. How we handle our sorrows should be different than how we handled them before the day we met Jesus and made Him our personal Savior. And may I tell you, when you handled it, the way that God wants us to handle it, that it's going to turn out so much better. And that it's going to help our life so much better when we handle it God's way. I want to talk about godly sorrow mingled with victory. I want you to notice, first off, <clears throat> a ministry of sorrow. Paul here reveals the continuous sorrow that is found in serving Jesus. Now here the Apostle Paul is one of the greatest preachers that we know of. His mission work is beyond our comprehension. The souls that were saved under what he did. But this man battled the devil one-on-one -on -one every single day. And you would think a man like Paul didn't have any battles, but this man battled. Because when you serve the Lord, the devil is not going to make it easy, okay? 
And he writes this letter to the believers at Corinth, and he goes through his problems. Notice what he said in verse 1. A man like the Apostle Paul, you would think, didn't have a problem. But notice what he said in verse 1. He said, but I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. You see, he experienced heaviness in his ministry. If you'll go to verse 3, he said, I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them. He faced sorrow in his ministry. Notice verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart... Man, the grief in verse 5 that he talks about in verse 8 again, sorrow. Verse 7, sorrow. And you go through that Paul is explaining what he faced in the ministry serving the Lord. You would think when you dedicated your life to Jesus that all the sorrow would end. No, friends, sorrow does not end. But now that you know Jesus, you handle sorrow differently. Notice what he said in verse 13. I had no rest in my spirit. You would think that once you got saved that you wouldn't worry anymore, that you wouldn't be grievous over things anymore. But the Apostle Paul said that I'm still stirred up and I still experience heaviness and I still experience sorrow and there's things that break me down is what the Apostle Paul said. And if you want to know what sorrow is, dedicate your life to serving Jesus and you'll know sorrow. If you want to experience sorrow, you dedicate your life to the kingdom of God and to the local church, and you serve the Lord every single day, and the devil's going to do anything and everything to get you down and discourage you and get you to the point and place that you're so full of sorrow that you want to quit. And child of God, you I promise you, if you go to church and you stay active in a local church, you're going to face sorrow in the ministry. But it's how you handle that sorrow. In this life, you will face sorrow. You will lose a loved one. You will have people that upset you and let you down. You will face sorrow. But may you listen to this preacher this morning. We should not handle it as the world handles sorrow. We need to sorrow in a different manner and in a different way. Paul reveals the continuous sorrow, but he also reveals the people that caused him this sorrow. If you'll look in verse 5, he begins to talk about the problem that they had in Corinth. And there was a man in the church at Corinth that had wronged the church. He had open and public sin, and he wronged the church. And the church was bitter at this man. And the Apostle Paul said, listen, this man's supposed to come and apologize, and when he apologizes, you need to forgive him him. You see, there was strife in the church. And he said, listen, this breaks my heart to see people within the church sin and mess up and have their life become a disaster. But you've got to handle it the right way. Isn't it sorrowful when you find believers that you go to church with that is so faithful and love the Lord and serving the Lord to look up one day for them to be gone and them to quit God and quit church and quit everything? And the Apostle Paul is addressing a problem in the local church because people within the local church will bring you sorrow. I don't know about you, but it ought to break your heart when you find the prodigals that at one time were so faithful and in love with Jesus that just fell in love with the world again and just turned the Lord away and turned the church away. The local church will bring you sorrow. 
Daily I grieve. Daily I pray. Daily there's heaviness in my heart over my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what Paul was facing. People that you love will let you down and will discourage you and bring sorrow. And he grieved over this. This brought heaviness to his heart. May I tell you, some of you have brought heaviness to my heart because of the burden that God has laid on me for you. And when we are not doing as God has called us to do, child of God, it ought to rip our hearts out. When we see people who one day was on fire and charging hell with a water gun to turn around, to not even go to church, to not even pray, to quit reading their Bible, that ought to break your heart. Then he goes into another problem there in, uh, with Macedonia and Troas, with Titus. And Titus was not there when he was in Troas preaching. And God told Paul, said, you need to keep going. Don't stay here in Troas. And he said, there was sorrow in my heart because of the ministry, because God was moving me on and I didn't want to go. You see, Paul is talking about different things in the ministry that will bring you sorrow. And child of God, you hold on and you stay in church and you serve the Lord long enough, you're going to face sorrow. You're going to face sorrow. Not only does he reveal the people that call sorrow, but Paul reveals that some sorrow comes from the Lord. I want you to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And I'm building up, and y'all are quiet as, as church mice this morning, but we're going to get on victory here in a minute. And if you don't start shouting, I'll just shout for you. Because there's sorrow we have to deal with. And there's sorrow that we must deal with in the right way, in the right manner. Paul talked about Titus. Over in chapter 7, he reveals that he finally found Titus. And he begins to finish this. But I only want to read one verse in verse 10. It says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And so he said that there is such thing as godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. That's kind of like when Paul said, I'm jealous, but with a godly jealousy. You see, there's a difference in worldly jealousy and godly jealousy. Y'all with me? There's a difference in worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Paul said there's sorrow of the world, but then there's sorrow of God. You know, that's something we don't think about, that God causes His people to sorrow. There are things in our life that should bring us sorrow. Notice what he said in verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Brother Hayden, you done said there's one door to the ark. Sorrow does not make you saved. You sorrow because you are saved. You see, the reason that we sorrow about things that we've never sorrowed about is because God changed our hearts and He saved us. May I tell you, there was a day in my life that I didn't care if you served the Lord or not. There was a day in my life that I didn't care what direction our country went. It didn't bother me one bit if you died and went to heaven or died and went to hell. There was a time in my life that it didn't grieve my soul if you didn't go to church. I could give a flip because I didn't want to go either. I went because my daddy made me. <laughs> Y'all been there, had that drug problem? But when God saves you and changes your heart, things that never broke you will begin to break you. And things that used to not upset you will begin to upset you. And may I tell you, child of God, there are things in our life that's not worth getting upset over. 
Man, Razorback fans, I know y'all got beat last night. Y'all knew I was going to throw it in there. But a football game is not worth getting upset over. Physical things that we have no control over is not worth getting upset over. A little league baseball game is not worth getting upset over. Brother Norman, basketball, where are you? There you go. Basketball is not worth getting upset over. And I'm going to try to remember that in a month or two. There are things that we sorrow over and make such a deal about that the world should worry about, not God's people. You see, our sorrow should change the day that we met Jesus. It shouldn't bother you what the score of the game is, but it ought to bother you where somebody's going to die when they leave this whole earth behind. It ought to grieve your soul when you see atheists and people that hate the name of Jesus. Child of God, it ought to bring heaviness to your soul. It ought to make you weep over the lost nature of our nation. May I tell you, this society is going the way of the world. And I'm telling you, they, our nation is turning their back against God. And if it grieves anybody, it ought to grieve us. It ought to bring sorrow to our life to see how people turn against God and turn against the church. They come in here and they're on fire. And oh, I know Jesus now. And they go get baptized to never come back to church or serve the Lord again. If I don't break your heart, something's wrong. Man, I'm telling you, if the actions of your kids doesn't bother you, something's wrong. <laughs> that ought to bring you sorrow. You better sorrow and you better get you a belt. Amen. <laughs> Man, the, the things that our kids do ought to break us. It ought to bring sorrow. Y'all can do something. It doesn't bring as much sorrow to me. But when my kids do it, man, it brings me sorrow. Then it brings them sorrow because I tear them up over it. Amen? We need to know what a belt is again. Amen? We need to find our belts and sorrow and whoop them. Amen? Sorrow. What are you sorrowing about? Sometimes we are sorrowing over things we can't help, over things that don't matter. We're getting bent out of shape. Sorrow over those things that are worth sorrowing over. And that is called godly sorrow. Miss Barbara, you can sorrow over Brother Trey. You sorrowed over him, what he's doing down there in Sterlington. That's godly sorrow. Brother Jason, you sorrowed over your son's salvation. You prayed. You lifted him up. And God blessed that sorrow, didn't He? There's things worth sorrowing over, and then there's things that's not worth sorrowing over. But notice what he said. He said, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Have you ever been told by the world that's goofy, quit worrying about that kind of stuff? You ever been told by the world, don't get upset by all of those things? May I tell you, there's things worth getting upset over. And the world doesn't understand why we don't get bent out of shape over the economy. You don't have to get bent out of shape over the economy because we're going to seek the kingdom of God first and God's going to provide everything that we need. Amen? And they say, oh, there's things you need to worry about. These things you don't need to worry about. God, Paul said, don't repent of it. You keep sorrowing. You got somebody on your heart that's lost. You keep weeping over them. You keep praying over them. Man, your family members have strayed away from the Lord. You keep on serving the Lord. 
Do you know what I hear from these older ones every time? I've got more older people that come up here during invitation than hardly anybody. I have more older people that seek me throughout the week with problems than anybody. And you know what their problems are and their sorrow is? Their kids and their grandkids. They're sorrowing over the actions of their kids and their grandkids. Keep on sorrowing. Keep on and don't you repent of it. Don't be sorry. Don't apologize to your grandkids because you care about their soul. Don't apologize to your kids because you don't want them to act like acting like heathen. Don't apologize. You keep sorrowing. You keep praying. You hang in there and God's going to bless your prayer. I'm glad my mama never repented of her sorrow. I'm glad she never stopped. May I tell you, I am where I am because of mama that was willing to sorrow over her son. And she didn't apologize. Mama says, stop. I ain't stopping. I'll pray for you till I die. Bless God, she did. (laughs) And I am where I am because of mama that wasn't afraid of sorrow. There are things worth sorrowing over. But let's get happy. Y'all ready to celebrate a little bit? Godly sorrow is always followed by godly victory. Notice what he said here back in our text in chapter 2. He said in verse 14, No thanks be unto God. He said in verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit. Then he turns around in the same breath and says, No thanks be unto God. Lost man cannot do that. They have no hope. Do you hear me? They have no hope. The lost world turns to a bottle. The lost world turns to drugs. The lost world turns to suicide. Because in their sorrow, there is no answer to their sorrow. So they take a a, a beer bottle or they take whiskey and they try to drown their sorrows and make their mind numb to their sorrows. And then when they sober up, they're right back to their sorrows. They have nothing to do with their sorrows because there is no hope. I'm reminded of when the Apostle Paul told the, Thessal- uh, the believers at Thessalonica, and he said, But brethren, I'll not have you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Paul was sorrowing in the same breath, My soul is without rest. Now thanks be unto God. Now that sounds almost bipolar, doesn't it? Y'all been there? In the same breath you're full of sorrow, but in the same breath you praise the Lord. That's what God will cause you to do. That's godly sorrow. When you can face sorrow and praise Him in the same breath is when it's of God. If you cannot sorrow and praise in the same breath, it's wrong and it's sin. But when you can sorrow and praise Him all at the same time, it's of God. And God's going to bless it. Oh, I love this. He said, I didn't have rest in my spirit. Now thanks be unto God. Man, I'm telling you, we got a reason to celebrate. Boy, three of you agree with me. Praise the Lord. Man, I'm going to remind you, we're not here at a funeral today. We're not here because somebody's dead. Huh. Jesus got up out of the grave. We're here because somebody's alive. 
And I'm so glad, man, I'm so thankful, Miss Melissa, when that person goes on and meets the Lord, when they're down and they're in sorrow, that you can still smile and rejoice because we have hope in Jesus Christ. We have hope in Jesus Christ. When you get the word about a brother or sister with cancer, when you hear about the friend passing away, when you hear about the, the ones that have turned away from God, you sorrow, but yet in the same breath we can rejoice because we know we have victory in Jesus Christ. We know that in the midst of this sorrow that God will bring victory. Notice what he said. Now thanks be unto God which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Even in his sorrow, Jesus caused him to triumph and rejoice. Aren't you glad that Christ can cause us to rejoice? This victory is not because of the works of the Apostle Paul. This victory is not because of the work of the Corinthian believers. But this victory is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Listen to me this morning. If Christ can defeat every sin that you've ever going to commit or everything you're going to experience, if He can die for it, if He can be buried for it, if He can rise again the third day for it, then all of those things should be behind us. Amen? And when we victory, we do not victory because of what we do or how we handle it. We victory because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Every child of God can celebrate because Jesus died for our sins. And He set us free from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. May I tell you, our victory does not come by reading the right book. Our victory does not come because just from tears. Our victory comes because Jesus died on a cross. And bless God, He rose again the third day. Every victory that we face in life was met at Calvary. Bless God, Jesus has defeated death, hell, and the grave. And if He can defeat death, hell, and the grave, He can defeat every sorrow that you ever face. Child of God, you ought to put a smile on your face. Because every sorrow that you face today, Jesus got an answer for that. Every sorrow that you're going to face tomorrow, God's got an answer for that because He will cause us to triumph. Not because I'm smart enough or holy enough or righteous enough, but because Jesus is righteous enough. Because He alone is faithful enough. I tell you, every time we call out to Him, He's there. You know what, Brother Frank? That's not us, that's Him. Because He's faithful. He's good. That's why we can rejoice and have victory. Man, some of y'all need some victory this morning. I guarantee you. We have been called to triumph. Jesus gives us reason to triumph. He has saved our soul. He has reserved our place in heaven. He is preparing us a mansion for when we get there. We have reason to have victory. We have calls to triumph. Jesus has been good. And in the midst of your sorrow, He can bring a smile to your face. You let the storms rage, but God will put peace inside of your soul. Peace that passeth all understanding. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Even though when I get down, man, I have wept over the salvation of my kids. I have literally wept over the salvation of my daughter, wherever she's at. There she is. I have wept over her for a year and a half and sorrowed. 
And man, I'm glad God listens to this daddy. And there was a day she come up after church. She just said, oh, by the way, I got things right this morning. Excuse me? What do you mean? I've been praying for you a year and a half, and that's all you got to say? Everything's right. God made it right. I got saved. She didn't want to talk about it. That next Sunday morning, she knocked her mama over coming up here, telling her church that she met Jesus. The next Sunday, she come home. We had a lightning storm. She's terrified of the weather. Had a lightning storm. I was running to the house. It was bad and scary. And she said, Daddy, I used to be scared of storms like that, but I'm not scared anymore because Jesus saved my soul. Not long ago, I preached on Revelation. She said, Daddy, used to, every time you preached on Revelation, it scared me to death. But not anymore. Because I know where I'm going when I die. There's victory in our sorrow. There's triumph in our sorrow. And this is what I like. Notice what he said. He causeth us to triumph in Christ. Your victory will not be a part away from Christ. He will always be the leader. He will always lead you into victory. You cannot have victory without Jesus Christ. Amen? It cannot happen. But notice what he said. Causeth us always, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh in, and make manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Paul describes his triumph. The first thing he said is always. That speaks of time. So always he can triumph in Christ. In time, in every time, whether it's midnight or whether it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, regardless of time, he causes me to triumph. And then he said, in every place. In every place He causes me to triumph. That speaks of space or position. No matter what time it is or where I'm at, regardless of what I'm going through and where I am in life, Jesus can cause me to triumph. That means whether it's 10 o'clock at night in the hospital or whether it's at the home at 9 o'clock in the morning dealing with a family issue, whatever it is, He will meet me and carry me to victory. He will meet me there and He will help me because He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And He'll lead me in the victory. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Amen? And He said, in always, in every space, in every time, He causes me to triumph. What are you saying, preacher? There's nothing in your life that God cannot cause you to have victory. It may take years of crying. It may take years of sorrow, but you keep on and there's going to be victory. There's going to be victory. Child of God, you have been promised victory. That's why when sorrow comes along, don't let it get you down so bad. Because you may be crying today, but you hold on, you're going to be shouting tomorrow. I'll be honest, I don't know what's on tomorrow. Bless God, I know who holds it. You let anything come, you say, preacher, you can handle anything. No, I can't. I'm weak. But in my weakness, I find His strength. And in every time that I'm down and I'm low, and the lowest I get, and the lower I get, the higher He gets in my life. And that sorrow brings me down, but it causes me to look up. And He's always there to bring me victory. Child of God, quit being defeated. 
We ought to be the happiest people on the face of this planet. We ought to smile. Man. We ought to smile. It's all right, folks. He died for you. Smile. He has answered our prayers. Smile. Rejoice. Rejoice. Who cares who wins the ball game? Jesus has won the war. <gasps> who cares? The little things and the economy and all of that mess. When I die, I know where I'm going. Now I know where my wife's going. I know where Kayla Ann's going. I know where Connor Allen's going. And bless God, I'm, I'm going to know one day where Kendy's going. It's coming. That's what I rejoice in. Child of God, let's sorrow the godly way. Let's put it in the hands of the Master and say, God, here it is. Whether it's a child, whether it's a grandchild, sorrow the way that God's people ought to sorrow. And then you will rejoice in the way that God's people ought to rejoice.